Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Serial Killers Cafe. I'm your host Stephanie, here with my co-host Ariel. Hello. And happy Wednesday. We are super excited to continue our female serial killer series. This is um, so interesting. And today we are going over Dorothea Puente. So the last two weeks we did not talk about what we were drinking because we've both been feeling a little under the weather. So we've only been drinking water or like hot water. Yeah, right. So not very exciting. No. Uh, but thankfully we're both feeling better. So today I actually chose to make a chocolate and banana shake and it was delicious. Okay, you go. Um, so that seems healthy. I'm having hot chocolate because it's freezing. Oh my gosh, I love hot chocolate Me though. too and it's cold. So it, just it is. It's me. And it's been raining pretty much every day this week. So I think that's kind of why I feel real good drinking hot chocolate because it's like green. They go together. Yeah, it just <laughs> makes you feel better. Yeah, for sure. So let us know what you're drinking. Comment in our episode this week. Um, so I just want to point out to you guys that Ariel wrote um a little bit about dorothea puente for us and she put dorothea puente a cute little old lady that you'd never think would kill anyone guys you have to look at her picture like we'll, we're gonna we'll post, post it, it. Yeah, yeah we're gonna post it on facebook and instagram you have got this she's just like this adorable little old lady who just looks like a grandma and she's actually a psycho killer yeah she i was she shocked says. when i found out like all the stuff that she did i'm like there's no way all right, so let's kick off Dorothea Puente. Um, we'll start with her early life. So Dorothea Helen Puente was an American convicted serial killer. So serious. Um, so in the 1890s, she actually ran a boarding house in Sacramento, California, and murdered her elderly and mentally disabled boarders before cashing their Social Security checks. So a lot of females, serial killers that we've come across so far as we've been researching, do murder for financial gain. They're always, like, really looking for money. I think that's why we were so confused about our great friend Rosemary West, because, like, she wasn't getting money. No, she got nothing out of it. Um, I mean, guess I guess from being a whore. But, like, <laughs> yeah, that's um, true. she wasn't, she like... She could have that without killing. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but oh, Dorothea here, uh, she was really looking for the funds. So she actually, her account reached nine confirmed murders with six more unconfirmed. Uh, Like most serial killers we cover, as we've stated so many times, they have a really rough early life. So she was born Dorothea Helen Gray on January 9th of 1929 in California. Both her parents were actually alcoholics and her mother worked as a prostitute. Her father attempted suicide in front of her, but then ultimately died of tuberculosis in 1937 when she was only eight. And then her mother died in a car accident the following year. Like, ouch. That's, that's a lot of loss and for a fucking was, eight-year-old. She was, exactly. She was really young, only eight years old. Yeah. Um, so then, I, naturally, she was sent to an orphanage because she had no, no more parents. And then it was reported that she was sexually abused. Um, so that obviously didn't help. And we do see that a lot, especially with, um, a lot of the serial killers, not even just the females, the men have these really messed up childhoods end up in orphanages or like mental hospitals or group homes where they just continue to be abused and it doesn't help them at all. So Dorothea was married in 1945 at the age of 16 to a world war two soldier named Fred McFall. They had two children um, but Dorothea sent one of them to live with family and then put the other one up for adoption. So obviously she, you would think like, because she ended up with no parents and had to go to an orphanage, she like wouldn't want to send her. Especially because she was sexually abused right. there. Like clearly very unhappy. Like I just, I'm very 
I'm very confused because it genuinely seems like she didn't want to have kids. <laughs> right. Um, Seeing how she gets rid of them all. So yeah. maybe she sent them over uh, to our other friend, the baby farmer. <laughs> oh, my God. Imagine. Oh, my gosh. Um, so... Anyway, she actually had one more pregnancy in 1948, but it ended in a miscarriage. And then her husband left her later that same year. And I don't, it doesn't say why, so I don't know if he left her, like, because she kept getting, getting rid, rid of, of babies. All her children? <laughs> like, I'm sure that wasn't the ideal plan. I'm sure he probably wanted the children. Right. Um, so, while trying to support herself, she was actually caught forging checks, which we obviously know she does. Um, and was sent to prison for six months. And then once she was released, she actually found herself pregnant again oh. with a man she barely knew. Also gave that child up for adoption. So she's a very fertile person. Here's the thing. Fertile over here. 48, they had um, birth control. <coughs> Excuse me, guys. It might not be like as advanced as it is now, but I'm pretty sure they had birth control at that point. Like they had some things. Like get with the program. Yes, that's very true. Um, I was actually... Uh, it says, a quarter of middle-class women in the late 1940s were all over the least popular method of birth control. But I guess it was very... It's probably, like, maybe newer then. Sure. Um, so, that's interesting. Uh, anyway. So, she got pregnant again, gave that baby up for adoption again, um, and then married again. <laughs> In 1952, and remained with that husband for 14 years. However, it's said to be a difficult marriage. So, that's a very long time for somebody you don't like. Yeah, and it sounded like they were pretty unhappy. Yeah, so in the 1960s, she was arrested for owning and managing a brothel and was sentenced to 90 days in the Sacramento County Jail. 90 days. Now, mind you, a brothel is, like, straight up, like, prostituting, sex trafficking. Right. Hardcore, like, 90 days. Okay. Three months. Okay. After her release, she was arrested again. Shocker this time for vagrancy, and sentenced to another 90 days in jail. This seemed to jumpstart her criminal career. So she started managing, you know, being like a nurse's aide for the disabled and elderly um, and managing boarding houses. And guys, um, negligent, like, so like basically background checks, what we call them now, have been around since 1908. So it's like no one like checked to see that she clearly has like quite a history and has already been in jail three fucking times. And they're like, it's fine. She can just like be with she all these people. should definitely take care of disabled people. Yeah, so there's that. And then in 1966, she divorced her second husband and quickly married Roberto Puente, a man 20 years younger than her. That marriage only lasted a couple years, and once it ended, she began her career running a three-story, 16-bedroom boarding room at 2100 F Street in Sacramento, California, which is then where the murders begin. Dun, dun, dun. Want to take it away, Ariel? I definitely can take it away. So, <laughs> all right. Murders began shortly after Puente began renting out the space at 1426 F Street. Uh, in April of 1982, Ruth Monroe, who's a 61-year-old, began living with Puente in, in her upstairs apartment. Um, it appears that she died, though, of a codeine overdose. Yikes. Um Puente told police that the woman was very depressed because her husband was terminally ill. Um, and basically they believed her. Um, and they ruled it as a suicide. Can you, like, I love how she's just like, oh my gosh, she was super sad. They're like, oh, 
check suicide. I feel like this happens a lot. Like, no they're like, investigation. Like, they're who? like, oh, uh, like, uh, hello, Amelia killed like 400 babies. And she was like, they, you know what? I'm having uh, struck a bad luck. And they're like, totally understandable. Okay. That's fine. That makes so much sense. Definitely. Um, all right. So then a few weeks later, the police ended up back at Dorothea's home um, because there was a 74-year-old man named Malcolm McKenzie who accused Dorothea of drugging him and stealing from him. So she ends up getting convicted of the three charges that have to do with Malcolm McKenzie. Uh, And she was sentenced to five years in jail, which is actually a a pretty good amount of time. Compared to all her 90 days. Uh, Yes, seriously. (laughs) So this is fantastic. So while she's in jail, she starts a little pen pal relationship with a 77-year-old man named Everson Gilmouth. Um, so then she gets released. She only serves three years in jail, which again, better than the 90 days when she's released. This lovely old man, Everson Gilmouth is waiting for her outside in a 1980 red Ford pickup. Which now he's also 80. Right. And this is important. So remember the Ford pickup. Um, so apparently their relationship, you know, develops into a lover's type relationship and they decide, you know, we want to get married, blah, blah, blah. So then... Um, a couple years later, so this would be 1985, um, she, alright, so she gets released from prison, and she hires, so she's living with Everson Gilmouth, right? Yep. She hires, um, a, let's see, a gentleman, um, Flores, to, basically she tells him it's to install some wood paneling in her apartment, and oh, um, by the way... (laughs) I can pay you by giving you a 1980 red Ford pickup. Okay. Okay. And then, oh, while you're at it, could you possibly build me a six by two foot box? Oh, it's just to store stuff in. That's all. That's (laughs) just a few things. It might look like a coffin. It's just to store stuff. So in case you guys haven't really gotten there yet, um, she just made a she, murder box. Right. So she <laughs> killed Everson Gilmouth, stole his truck, and then used his truck as payment for someone to build her a coffin. That escalated so fast. So like, fast. I didn't I didn't see that coming when yeah. I originally read about her. I was yeah. like, oh, plot twist. Uh, and, like, she just tells the guy, like, oh, yeah, the truck belonged to my boyfriend, but he doesn't need it anymore. So, like, here. So then, once um, <laughs> Flores had made this murder box... She's asked him, like, hey, I just, I gotta throw some books and other stuff in it that I don't really need, um, and I'm gonna nail it shut. Could you help me transport this to the riverbank and throw it in? And this man's like, sure, no props. Yo, people are so stupid. So stupid. <laughs> That's literally like, all I can think about. I'm like, okay, like, you're all dumb AF. Goodbye. I mean, apparently, like, where they dumped it, it was a, quote, unofficial household dumping site. Apparently, they didn't have trash trucks back then. So, um... And so, yeah, she just said, yeah, it's just, oh, just a bunch of junk. Well, then, a year later, so 1986, a fisherman spots the box sitting um, on the riverbank, and he lets the police know. Just, you know, he had, doesn't really know what's in it, but eh, it looks a little sketchy. So investigators uh, go, and they open the box, and they find a badly decomposed and unidentifiable, un- unidentifiable body of an elderly man inside. Hint, hint. It's Dorothea's pen pal. Oh, poor Everson. Yeah. So he was probably um, like, "Oh, I'm in my old age. I love my life. I'm right? a friend." Here's this hot and she's like, girl. "Murder." Yeah. 
Uh, and mind you, this whole time, Dorothea uh, continued to collect his pension checks and wrote letters to his family being like, sorry, I haven't been in touch. I'm super sick. <laughs> okay. Uh, the lengths that people go to do these, and it's like they put in such, like they don't put in the full effort. They like half-ass the effort they put right. into it, which blows my mind. They're like, yeah, like I was not feeling well. Like maybe put in a little more. A little more. A little more. So, and through this whole time, she still has this whole, like, room and board business. Uh, and, I mean, at times she has upwards of 40 tenants. Damn. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot of people. And, mind you, like, they're all elderly and disabled. <laughs> like, right. They're all not well, in great shape. It's not like they, some of them, I don't think, can really take care of themselves at all. And you know what's so messed up is, so she was actually, um, Dorothy was very popular with social workers because she was known to take the tough cases. Yeah, because so she murdered them. Yeah, exactly. But so they were like, oh my God, this lady is so lovely. She takes on all these drug addicts and elderly people and people with dementia. And like, she just takes it on and bears it beautifully. And Yeah, right. Uh, meanwhile, she's like taking their payment and then also right taking their social security checks and all that good stuff. Um so there was a point though where there was a parole officer that went to go see Dorothea at the house and basically it said listen you can't be like you have to stay away from elderly people you can't be handling their checks like that's not a thing um but he kind of just told her like hey this is what you should be doing by the way there's um uh, you can only have a minimum of 15 people at the res. I like how they don't tell her to people. stop because she's doing legal things. So like, can right. you just tone it down maybe? Yes. <laughs> that would be great. And then it even says that there was no, there was never any violations. Nothing was recorded. It was just like. He was like, so it looks like you're stealing a lot of money. If you could steal a smidge less, we'd right. be super appreciative. That'd be super awesome. Thank Thanks you. so much. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Again, chance after chance after chance with these people. Yeah. So uh, you want to talk a little bit about Chief? Yeah. Okay. So. <clears throat> Suspicion uh, first came about when the neighbors noticed the odd activities of a homeless alcoholic known only as Chief, whom Puente stated she had actually adopted and made her personal handyman. Um, she had Chief dig in the basement and cart like soil and rubbish away in a wheelbarrow. Which, come on, we're all not stupid. <laughs> yeah. Like, we know what you're doing yeah. in the basement. But okay. At the time, the basement floor was covered with a concrete slab. Chief later took down a garage in the backyard and installed a fresh concrete slab there as well and then soon after he disappeared just 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 disappeared you know like casual these bitches are dropping like fall uh, i know okay just, just so happened to disappear so basically much like uh what's her face that we covered she made people like dig their own graves as well because he probably so he's burying these bodies putting concrete slabs over them which no one's like that's so weird she has like six and they're like all the random and they're just like I, a slab it's not like she like put her whole backyard as a fucking slab right. so it looked like and she, she was didn't cementing build anything on it like it was just nothing and i don't know no one questions it it's it's very very strange it is very strange and obviously we can see here that she uses everything for her personal gain right. so um she's not trying to do anything other than use people long enough to get what she needs out of them and then right. like peace it out right so then, uh, November 11th of 1988, um, police inquired after the disturbance of tenant Alberto Montoya. 
He was a developmentally disabled man with schizophrenia, and a social worker had reported him missing. Which, again, like, other people are working with these men yeah. uh, and elderly besides her. So she's very ballsy to just be, like, fucking killing them. So um, after noticing disturbed soil on the property, they uncovered the body of tenant Leona Carpenter, who was 78, and then seven more bodies were found on the property. So this escalated from, like, zero to 100 very quick. Right. Um, during the initial investigation, she wasn't even a suspect. They let her leave the property. Um, <laughs> they kept she, to go buy a cup of coffee, and instead of buying the coffee, obviously she fucking fled yeah, to right. Los Angeles, where she befriended an elderly pensioner whom she had met in a bar. The pensioner recognized her from the police reports on television, though, and called the authorities. Oh, good karma, right? Her trial was moved to Monterey County, California, on a change of venue motion filed by her attorneys. Kevin Climo and Peter Vlotin the third. So the trial began October of 1992 and ended a year later. I always think it trials that like take forever. Can you imagine like being on a jury where like remember you can't do anything else, I- including work. You can yeah, like, and you know how much they I, pay you? Fifteen dollars a day. Oh, At least I that's know. how they pay you here in Rhode Island. Yeah, right. Because that's what I got when I and I only started for two days and I was like I, okay. <laughs> Can you imagine a year? I know. No, I cannot. I, I don't... Yeah, I, no, I... I mean, I guess it'd be kind of cool, but, like, how do you tell your job? Like, ooh. Well, I mean, yeah. You so, I mean, obviously, they can't do anything about it, Yeah, but, but it's just... Oh, my gosh. That's, like, a year of your life. You're just, literally just... That's crazy yeah. to me. So, anyway, she... Um, the trial began in October 1992, like I said, ended a year later. The prosecutor was uh, the homicide supervisor in the Sacramento County District Attorney's Office. So, he called over 130 witnesses... He was serious. Yeah, he was like, this bitch is not going bye-bye. Right. No way. So he argued to the jury that she had used sleeping pills on to put her tenants to sleep, suffocated them, and then hired comets to dig the holes in her yard. Which, you know, like, (laughs) doesn't sound too far off based on what we've read so far. So her, one of her attorneys, uh, Climo, concluded in his closing argument by showing a picture commonly used in psychology that like people can see in different ways and it says keep in mind things are not always as they seem oh that's like those ink lot things yes yeah so the jury deliberated for over a month and found her guilty of three murders but then was deadlocked 11 to 1 for conviction on all counts and the lone holdout finally agreed to a conviction of two first degree murder counts including special circumstances and one second degree murder count so the penalty phase of the prosecution was like super highlighted by her prior convictions and Omara like we said like was not taking shit. Like right. he was like nope, like you're not getting away with those bullshit you're trying to pull right now. Like you are clearly a murderer. Like you're going to pay. So he had called several witnesses to show that she, um but the defense called several witnesses to show that Ponte had like this really nice caring and generous side of her and witnesses including her long-lost daughter like okay so the daughter that she got rid of came back and was like oh my god my mom's the best yeah she was like oh super helped me in my youth and guided me to a successful career like bitch she gave you up she did right? not like you were lying yeah she was with you for like a day um mental health experts testified that her abusive upbringing and how it motivated her to help the less fortunate like yeah, were good, good things yeah good try. so at the same time they agreed she had an evil side brought on by the stress of caring for her down and out tenants but again she like chose that life i was gonna say you can't like take that on and be like oh they it so made me a killer i had to kill them. <laughs> exactly so this was actually an insane trial because of all the things that went on during it it just was kind of crazy to be like oh, okay everything's fine right. 
I'm still mind blown the daughter came. I think that's my biggest Ugh, shock because like yeah, she literally got pregnant and was like, I don't want you. Yeah. I gave mean, her uh, up and then the daughter's like, she changed bye. my life. Right. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Plot twist. I also, so I put in um, our notes, the closing arguments from both the prosecution and the defense because I just thought that they were very interesting. Oh, okay. Um, so Amara's closing argument is, <clears throat> does anyone become responsible for their conduct in this world? These people were human beings. They had a right to live. They did not have a lot of possessions, no houses, no cars, only their social security checks and their lives. She took it all. Death is the only appropriate penalty. Yeah, I feel then, that. You want me to read that one? Uh, no, you, I want you to read the other people, but hold on. So oh, then oh. Um, Kevin Klein will respond. So her lawyer responded by evoking Dorothea the child and caregiver. Please. So then her lawyer addressed the jurors in, in a very hushed tones basically saying the opposite of what the prosecutor had said obviously so go ahead Seth, you want to say all right um he said so they said we are here today to determine one thing what is the value of dorothea puente's life that is the question does she have to be killed Vlatin spoke gently about Puente's childhood, touching on the traumatic aspects that shaped her life and urged the jurors to see the world through her eyes. You have heard of the despair, which was the foundation of her life, the anger and resentment. If anyone in the jury room tells you it was not that bad, ask them what you want. Ask them, would you want that to happen to yourself? Would you want that to happen to your children? I am led to believe if there's any reason for us to be living here on this earth, it is to somehow enhance one another's humanity, to love, to touch each other with kindness, to know that you have made just one person breathe easier because you have lived. I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, that this is why these people came to testify for Dorothea Puente. I think you can only truly understand why so many people testified and asked you to spare Dorothea's life only if you have ever fallen down and stumbled on the road of life and had someone pick you up, give you comfort, give you love, show you the way. Then you'll understand why these people believe Dorothea's life is worth saving. That is mitigating. This is a human quality that deserves to be preserved. It is a flame of humanity that has burned inside Dorothea since she was young. That is the reason to give Dorothea Puente life without the possibility of parole. This fucking kills me. First of all, who cares about her life? She killed a shit ton of and innocent also, people. he's like, blah, 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 she's amazing, blah, 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 she's an angel, helps so many people. So she should probably be in prison for the rest of her life. Like, obviously she did something wrong. Like, So I'm assuming that at this point they knew she was going to be convicted of the murder, so they just didn't want her to be killed. Right, But, exactly. like, still, the, you can't use the basis of someone being a great person when they're on trial for murder. Right. Like, this is why I could never be a defense lawyer, because... No, never, ever. I'd literally be like, you're a terrible person. We right. are not going to make it through this. I am not going to be able to, to help you in the no. slightest. I think I'm going to take their side. <laughs> right. But thank you sorry like it's just mind-blowing to me yeah so puente was charged with a total of nine murders puente's boyfriend everson gilmouth poor guy oh. and eight tenants oh. who lived at the boarding house ruth monroe was 61 leona carpenter was 78 alvaro montoya was 51 dorothy miller was 64 benjamin i think 55 james gallup 62 vera oh like that name faye martin 64 and betty palmer 78 she was convicted of three murders and sentenced to two life sentences. She served life without parole and passed away in 2011 of natural causes. 
This is just all I can picture again is this cute little old lady like chilling in prison in her prison uniform, like with all of these living her like, best prison life. Right, like all <laughs> these super tough people. And she just like, Would you like me to knit you a hat? Oh, you wanna hear about all the people I killed? Yeah, I just don't understand. And again, I know that she killed for financial gain. Like, So she did kill a lot of people, but she stole all their social security checks. Right. So she could use them and cash them because then, obviously, checks weren't as, you know, widely yeah. checked, followed, followed up on that. Right, so right, right. As they are now. So she would just cash all these checks and, like, no one knew the wiser because you have to remember, like, social security would just keep sending you checks until someone sent you a death certificate. Exactly. So if no one sent you a death certificate, then you're like... Okay, well, obviously, they're still alive. They're cashing their checks every month. Right. Things are fine. So. So, I wonder, like, was this 100% for financial gain? I mean, I was think she, she started liking it. Yeah, right. I, I think mean, she, she might have done it at first. Up. She had a lot of. But, I mean, she wasn't an idiot. Like, so, she clearly thought through what she was doing. Right. Like, she knew from the second that she started that pen pal that this guy, like, she was going to murder him. And. Like, maybe it wasn't just financial gain, but it was some sort of gain. Sure. Like, Emerson was, like, the truck. And then the mm-hmm. other guy she murdered, like, built her, you know, all the fucking wooden boxes. You know, the coffins. And then the other guy who, like, built all her slabs. And then she, the alcoholic right. chief. Like, so she clearly was like, okay, so what can I get out of these people? Because I'm actually going to murder them. It's going to be super great. Ugh. But, like, none of the, I think the worst part is none of them questioned her. Like, they weren't asking what she was doing, and that's why she murdered them. She just murdered them. Yeah. Like, he wasn't like, hmm, seems like I'm helping you bury some bodies. And she was like, great, now I have to murder this dude. No. Like, he was like, here, you're all set. Have a great day. I'm super ignorant to everything happening right now. And she was like, cool, gonna murder you anyway. Yes. Because he even was like, sure, you want me to help you dump this random coffin-like box? No probs. Like. Yeah, first of all, you built it, then helped her dispose of it. And, like, didn't care in the slightest. Like, probably were like, oh, again, like you said, sweet little old lady, so kind. Yes. Like, no way there's a body in here. Like, that's how And then she, she got still people. killed them. Yeah. So, you're right. Maybe it wasn't just for financial gain. Maybe she just liked the thrill of the kill. It had to be. Or, a like, bit was like, cause... no links can come back to me. So, I'm yeah. just going to kill everyone. Right. But that's it, guys. That is Dorothea Puente. Oh, cute the cute little, little old lady, lady who you'd never think would kill anyone. It just shows that, and it could be anyone. Exactly. Well, guys. Thanks for listening this week. Like us, follow us, rate us, all that fun stuff. If you have any suggestions, remember, if you have any more female serial killers, let us know. But if you're interested in uh, giving us uh, serial killer children, like children that kill, let us know because we are going to um, be working on that series next as well. So I think that'll be super fun. So anyway, happy Wednesday, y'all. Have a good rest of your day.